sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We should not have our government, all the resources of the government, going after a political candidate and trying to set up a political candidate by sending informants and trying to get them to communicate with people. That, that's not really what our government should be doing. And We do all these shows, we do we write all these stories. What matters in 2020 are swing voters and swing states. Nobody else matters. And if we have a close election... We have no faith in your ability to discharge your duties in a manner consistent with your constitutional responsibility and urge your immediate resignation as chairman of the committee. And now, live from the National Religious Broadcasters Proclaim 19 in Anaheim, California, Stacy Washington. Hey, welcome to the program, everybody. I'm not sure what day it is, but happy and good day to you. I am so excited to still be here at National Religious Broadcasters, and we're in Anaheim, California. Last night, just to kind of update you on what I've been up to, we went to this, it was a medieval times show. It was a dinner. We didn't have any utensils to eat out of, so we had to drink our tomato soup out of a bowl with a handle, of course, and we had what they called some kind of weird bread, but it looked like Texas toast to me. Um, Seasoned chicken, seasoned corn on the cob, and uh, a potato that had been sliced in half and seasoned, and they said it was cooked over an open fire, and it actually tasted like that. Um, So it was really yummy. The food was great. And whenever something would happen with the food, they'd make an announcement like the queen would say, are, are my noble guests ready to dine? And we would cheer. And then she'd say, is the, is the meal prepared? And then the serving wenches, there were uh, serving wenches, and I'm not sure what the men call themselves, but they came out and they were very, very entertaining. And they shared with us. They really, um, they served the food and we cheered and we yelled. And there were lots of horse shows, horses prancing, horses skipping, horses dancing, horses bowing to the queen. Um, horses jumping and kind of leaping through the air. I was kind of led to believe by some of the marketing materials that I would see a horse that was jumping so high that all four of its legs would be off the ground and pulled up to its body almost as if it were flying. And um, I didn't see that. So, I mean, but otherwise, it was an amazing show. It was really fun. Our guy, we were in the blue section, so the blue knight was our, um, he was our protector. He was our victor. He had vanquished a couple of times. He was pretty fierce, but he kept getting his tuchus kicked. And then, after all of that, um, our he was like our Lord Protector dude. He was the one, he kind of argued with the Master of Ceremonies. And they had good little jibes at each other. Um, then they had one of the knights, the most popular knight, the Black and White Knight. He came out, and he just started slaying everyone. <laughs> it was fantastic. And then he would ask us if he should finish them off. And, of course, you know me. I'm always the burn it to the ground, scorched earth type of girl. So I always yelled at the top of my lungs while waving my flag, finish him. And that only happened once. But it was still great. (laughs) So Madison and I had a fantastic time. And um, I would say, you know, it's one of those things where they have them actually more than one all over the country. So what you can do is you can actually find them in lots of different places. And uh, if you have the chance to go to one, I'd say it's fun. It's a great place to go if you're having a birthday party or uh, celebrating something. If you just want something fun to do that's, it's not cheap, but it's not expensive, it's in between, that's very entertaining, that you'll be yelling and screaming, you know, like a lunatic, um, and listening to, you know, what should be old-time British tones, then, yeah, it was a great time. Uh, So today on the program, we're going to be speaking with 
the MyPillow CEO, Mike Lindell. We also have a few other guests um, that are going to be joining us today. And it's actually a jam-packed lineup we're going to be doing uh, one after the other. Erica Donalds, who's a chairman of the School Choice Initiative, and then Dan Wheeler and Brian Rawling will be coming on in the last segment here. And so that's going to be really awesome. We're going to be getting to chat with all of them. Um, as of right now, I'm, I'm really excited because we get to kind of continue to unpack this Mueller investigation. And what's been happening, obviously, is that we've seen a lot of people doing um, it kind of it's kind of upsetting business, if, if you ask me, because people are not accepting what's actually happened. So what I want to do is I want to go into a little bit of audio here um, and let's let's first pivot over to an issue that just got brought up by the president. He talked about uh, removing Obamacare completely and they don't need a repeal anymore because we're talking about getting rid of it because it's unconstitutional and now another judge has ruled it so. And he says the Republicans are actually going to be the party of health care and he's got plans. But over the Daily Caller, they have an expose about how Venezuela uses universal health care as a political tool. Now, I'm not, I'm not one of those ones who, you know, is, I'm not afraid of the government. I don't think the government is the boogeyman or it's out to get us. But there is a reason why the founders had us have a limited government aspect in everything that we do as it pertains to the government. So here's a bit of audio about how Venezuela, remember Venezuela is our example of what happens when we sink down into um, when we sink into socialism, when we allow the government to have too much control, you can look down south of us to Venezuela and see what happens. Starvation, uh, rioting, fires, and utter, uh, utter collapse of everything that we call the system. Now, Venezuela has universal health care because they're a socialist country. And Maduro, the dictator down there, has actually been using the universal health care as a political tool to ensure that people not only vote for him, but that, they, that he can keep them in line. And remember, we've seen the stories about them not allowing the supplies from other countries to come in. But now we're talking about him actually using uh, the health care as a way to force people to vote for him. Listen to this. It's number three. The New York Times reports that doctors were instructed to hoard medical supplies and give people minimal care in the lead up to the 2018 election. Why? So they could release the supplies days before the election to trick voters into thinking that Maduro had fixed the shortages. And when they did offer medical supplies, they made it clear that you wouldn't get any if you didn't vote for the government. Maduro seems to think that a shortage of medical supplies is in his interest. Okay, I'm not sure what happened with the rest of that audio, but the 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 story on that one is that we're so so Maduro keeps the he actually keeps the medical supplies. He keeps people from being able to access them. Then when they go into the doctor, he, he released this released all of the supplies just before the election, like three days before the election was supposed to happen. He tells the doctors who are hoarding them, go ahead and let the medical supplies go. So they let the medical supplies go. They're available. Everybody's got access to them. But when you go into the doctor, they say, uh, who do you plan to vote for? Now, imagine going into the doctor's office and you're there to talk about, you know, your cancer or whatever you've got going on. And instead of being able to talk about that, the doctor wants to know who you plan to vote for. Imagine how you would feel if you knew for a fact that your doctor was, you know, a gun control nut and you plan to vote for Donald Trump or whoever the Republican was at the time. Let's say you plan to vote against a new president, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker. 
what would you do? Would you lie? Would you say, yeah, I'm going to vote for Kamala Harris and Cory Booker? And they'd probably have a few more questions for you to kind of press you and make sure that you're telling the truth. And then what would happen? Uh, unless you're a really good liar, you could be sitting there looking at not getting your medication or maybe not getting scheduled for that uh, test that you need. You need a CT scan or something like that. So this is why you don't want the government in every little thing. If you think liberals misbehave now, kicking conservative writers and speakers off of campuses, beating up people wearing MAGA hats, going after people uh, who, who don't support a certain uh, you know, lifestyle choice like homosexuality. If you think the way they treated Brendan Ike, stripping him of his ability to run his own company because he gave a small check to the pro-marriage efforts in California that were trying to stop Prop 9. This was years ago. People have forgotten about this story. If you think they did that to him and that's just a one-off, then you haven't been paying attention. Look what they've tried to do to the baker, Mr. Phillips, up in uh, Oregon or Seattle. He was up in the uh, Northwest. Look what they did to Memories Pizza, the other uh, kind of marriage-oriented businesses that have gone out of their way to serve people. They just won't bake a cake. They just won't decorate a cake for a same-sex marriage, but they'll make the cookies. They'll make the pies. They'll make anything. They just won't do the wedding items. If you think the same people who've brought us those stories, who've issued those kinds of persecution on people for simply holding Bible-based views, then you're not, you're, not, you're not actually being honest with the information that we're being given. What we have to do is we have to be as strong as possible that we want everyone to have the right to the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, everything that, that we're given as our liberties here that are protected by the Constitution. That's all... Everyone's for that. Everyone wants that. What we don't want is we don't want people to vote in policies that put our health care, things that are so intimate, so personal, so life-changing in the hands of the government. And so the, that's, that's the, the kind of moral of this story. Now, they went a little bit further even, and, and, and uh, you know, it was kind of interesting because... Uh, the whole piece over at the Daily Caller, I, I, I think it's one of those kind of, they do a weekly video, I guess, by Anders Hagstrom. And they have the Daily Caller News Foundation issue these fact check videos. And, um, you know, it's, 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 good, it's good information. But if nobody hears about it, if nobody actually gets a chance to pay attention to it, then it just kind of goes by the wayside. They might as well have not made the video. And that, that's why it was so important for me to have it on today. So I want us to all think about, just think about the kinds of things you're discussing with your doctor, the kinds of issues that your doctor and your health insurance company, they kind of come together and the health insurance approves the claim and then the doctor starts the treatment protocol. And think about how lengthy that process can sometimes be, four to six weeks. And think about how it gets gummed up, not because people are horrible or evil, but because it just takes time for the scheduling office at the hospital to actually reach out to you and call you because it just takes time for... Um, for people to get things done and for them to get to you. Now think about everything that you have to go through and then think about adding that to a government process. The government actually saying, ah, you know, uh, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go ahead and, you know, th these claims like they did with the Tea Party processing. The Tea Party 
groups that had applied for uh, not profit status, those groups were basically put in the slow lane and their, their items weren't handled. They were not given an opportunity to actually do uh, what they were allowed to do under the IRS, which is claim not for profit status so they could do their work. They just weren't allowed to do it. So in my estimation, if they would do that to someone over not-for-profit status and, and their ability to file certain things with the IRS, you know, to, to save money, then why wouldn't they do it with your health care? And, you know, so every, every naysayer will say, well, the, these, are, these are good people. They, they work for the government, but they're not all bad people. Who said that? Who said they were bad people? I'm talking about the individuals who are bad apples, who are mixed in with the good ones, who will issue those policies and tell everyone in their their department, if you will, their office, their area of responsibility, that they don't want these types of claims coming across their desk. And then what are we supposed to do? Look how long it took to resolve the Tea Party scandal. The, tea, t the IRS Tea Party targeting scandal happened during the Obama administration. I believe it started during his first term. The people didn't get their just desserts, adjudication or what have you. They didn't get that until uh, President Trump came into office. They're just now getting, uh, you know, settlement or, or claims or what have you for what happened to them. So are you saying to me that just just thinking this through here, are you saying to me you think that that was a one off, that that can't happen again, especially in today's atmosphere where everything is so politically charged and everyone's on one side or the other. And it's it's even an issue of you can't spend time with people who don't share the same political beliefs as you do. Or you can spend time with them as long as they don't know you don't hold the same political beliefs. I, I don't know if I was talking off air or on air about a, a, a lady that I know, a sweet woman um, who is a devout Christian and she really does a lot of things in the community. And she recently found out that I'm on the right. And so now she's just not sweet anymore. Now she's just not saying hi anymore. I mean, it's like a radical change. And the only thing that I can actually connect it to is we had a conversation about that uh, documentary that I'm a part of. And now no more sweetness and niceness, no more friend, not, not friendly anymore. Is that, you think that's just a one-off? Is, is that just something that happens occasionally? Not for me. It, it happens to me all the time. And I'm fine with it. I'm not saying this because I'm thin-skinned or I can't handle it. I'm telling you this is what would happen if we let the government control our health care. So when we get back, we are going to be chatting with uh, Erica Donalds, chairman of the School Choice Movement. Keep it here. Like, I wanted to have the abortion because I was trying to hide a situation. When a young mom in crisis walks into a preborn pregnancy center, she's welcomed with open arms and given love, support, and a free ultrasound to meet her unborn baby. This young woman not only chose life for her baby, but heard the message of Jesus Christ and was comforted from the guilt and pain that plagued her. Preborn centers lead the nation in providing free ultrasounds. When an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and 100% of your sponsorship goes towards saving babies. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. 
Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. John Grisham's runaway bestseller, The Firm, is about a young lawyer who gets his dream job at a prestigious law firm. And along with it, a beautiful house and an upscale car and plenty of perks. Let the good times roll. Ah, but then he discovers that the firm is not what it appears to be. It's corrupt to the core. He's in danger of trading his character for comfort. You see, what he wanted almost destroyed him. Sometimes we are so driven by desire we don't realize that what we want can destroy us. If we keep badgering God, sometimes he gives us what we ask for. We need to be careful we don't become so stubborn and hard-headed that we pursue things beyond the boundaries of what God really wants for our lives. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 18-22 through 22 is a graphic illustration of this principle. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. For the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also shall be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So God gave them what they asked for. And if you know anything about the life of Saul, boy, did they ever get a doozy. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Let's think about what we're asking for and why we want it. Let the honor and glory of God direct our prayer requests. Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz is produced by Moody Radio. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. We are live here from National Religious Broadcasters in Anaheim, California. And we're just having a good time sitting in the American Family Radio booth, which is so good. Um, our, our actual booth is huge. We have two huge tables of fun, like, giveaway stuff. You can get American Family coffee over there. You can get DVDs and videos from all of the content that comes from our television side. And then there was a giveaway yesterday, I believe. I don't see the giveaway box there anymore, so someone won something cool. Um, and so we just have a ton of cool things here. And then there are a lot of other really great booths that are just packed with folks walking by and having a good time. And so it's really a pleasure to be here right now. So uh, now it's my distinct honor to welcome Erica Donald. She's the chairman of the School Choice Movement. Erica, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me, Stacy. So let's talk about what's going on with school choice. Now, you're out of Tallahassee, Florida. I live in Florida, in Naples. All of the action is in Tallahassee, though. That's our state capital, where our legislature is meeting uh, for the next few weeks or so. We have a 60-day legislative session, and that's where a lot of the school choice decisions are made here in Florida. So um, what what exactly are you guys hoping to accomplish now? Because I, I, I have to tell you, Florida is kind of on the cutting edge for school choice. You have a lot more school choice, uh, I'd say, than we have here in Missouri. We're just trying to catch up here. It's true. Florida is known as a school choice state. Um, 
but a lot of times that is school choice in name only for the majority of Florida families. We do have uh, almost 10 different types of school choice options in Florida, including uh, what some of your listeners are probably familiar with, charter schools. We have tax credit scholarships. We have scholarships for students who've been victimized in their schools to go to a private school of their uh, parents' choice. Uh, we also have what, what we call Gardner scholarships, which are education savings accounts for special needs students. Uh, so their parents can choose tutoring, private school tuition, curriculum materials. So while we do have a lot of options, they're all limited in the uh, people who can access those options, either by low-income families or students with disabilities or students that have been victimized. But it's not school choice across the board, and that is what we are pushing for in our legislative session this year and beyond, is to make school choice accessible to all. Okay, so speaking of school choice accessible to all, right now you have Governor Ron DeSantis. He's, I I believe, a huge proponent of school choice, uh, Republican, and he was swept into office uh, by some moms that really have school choice as their number one voter issue, um, black moms in the state of Florida who currently have their kids enrolled in failing public schools, and they're looking for options. So the, it seems like it's a great time for you to be in the school choice movement in the state of Florida. It is, and Ron DeSantis is an excellent advocate for parental choice in our state, and he has come out with a plan that is nearly matched by our House and our Senate to expand what we're calling parent empowerment scholarships, uh, which would reach those those families that you're talking about, mostly low-income, a lot of minority families who may be in a failing public school, but they may be in a public school that just doesn't work for their child. And because they are of limited means, they don't have the ability to send their child to private school. They don't have the ability to buy a house in a different district, uh, like many school choice uh, moms do. Um, but... Instead, they'll be able to get a scholarship uh, based on their limited uh, income and send their child to the private school of their choice. So at what, is, what is the timeline on something like this? Do we see, um, you know, resolution for parents who are looking at the fall 2019 school year, or does this kind of stretch out and maybe it's next year that parents could see some relief? Well, we are hoping that this will affect next school year. And parents, uh, when our budget goes into effect July 1st, so the budget that is being discussed right now in our legislature is for uh, the 1920 school year. And we would expect that parents will be able to take advantage of these scholarships right away. We know that there are open seats in many of our private schools across the state. And we know that there are over 14,000 students on the waiting list for tax credit scholarships which are kind of the same thing, but a different funding mechanism. And those are the, the parents and the students that we're going to be targeting first with the Parent Empowerment Scholarship. They've already made the decision to move their child, if, they're, if they could, to a private school. They're on a waiting list. We want to get those students off the waiting list and get them into the schools that work best for them. So in your piece, you talk about redefining and reimagining the entire concept of public education and that publicly funded education is not a headquarters building or school boards or school superintendents or administrators or even teachers unions. Now I can tell you right now, I I can probably think of three or 400 teachers in the state of Missouri who would probably riot if they heard you say that statement anywhere near a legislator in the state of Missouri. 
not because they're horrible people, but because they believe exactly the opposite of that statement. How do you get people from there where they're completely married to this concept of uh, schools run by publicly funded entities and public dollars not being private dollars and all of that garbage? How do you get there? How do you get them there? It's a great question. I actually served on the Collier County School Board, the, the elected uh, school board for the public schools in my district. So a lot of people are surprised to hear that. Um, but I was a mom that thought if I could just change the system, then I wouldn't have all these parent friends that want to get out of the system. Uh, but what I found as a member of the school board is that the system will not reform itself. And the only thing that is going to pressure the system to reform is competition and parents' ability to vote with their feet, to go to the school of their choice. That is when you see the public schools, the bureaucracy, the traditional public school system make moves to accommodate more various needs and not try to put forth this one-size-fits-all monopolistic um, service offering. And, you know, I've been there, and there are some people who are never going to come our direction. They are married to the public schools. They think it has to come from this monopoly, and there's no other way to do it. But the more and more parents that have access to choice and the more choice is able to prove itself to be effective for students, as it has in Florida, where charter schools universally outperform traditional public schools, for example, where tax credit scholarship students go to college at a far higher rate than their peers, uh, when choice continues to prove itself, the data and, and the results are going to speak for themselves and the parents, regardless of how the bureaucracy feels about it, are going to be able to continue to make those choices for their kids. So let's, uh, I, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I love what you're doing. I, I, one of the things that I sincerely hope is that what happens in Florida, you know how sometimes California can be a bellwether for the worse. We can see Florida be a bellwether for the better for educational choice for kids and that other states would follow suit, that activists would kind of come down and learn from you and then go back to their own states and recreate this model because education, what I found as a mom, is it's so integral to the direction your children will take. If your kids get a great grammar school education, it's because they probably had great preparation for grammar school in a decent preschool environment. But the decent preschool environment really isn't enough to save them. The mom and the dad have to be focused on teaching their kids how to read and count and add and subtract before they ever hit kindergarten. So if you mix all of that together and you've got something good going, a kid is going to have an amazing start. And that start, the, the kind of boost from it lasts into middle school. You can even see the kind of results of it for high school kids. High school kids who don't get a great start in their preschool years, whether it's at home or in preschool, that evidence continues to show itself in high school. And so I, I, what I want to have is an opportunity for every kid to have that great education, regardless of the choice their parents make and regardless of zip code. But one of the things that hampers that is, let, you, you talked about voting with your feet. That's what my husband and I did. We left the inner city and moved to an inner ring suburban district where we bought a home. And, you know, by the grace of God, we were able to do that and then put our kids in this AAA rated school district. Well, the converse argument to that is a lot of people would say, well, not everyone can afford to move and not everyone... Uh, can fit into those small school districts. So what what is your answer to that kind of argument from people who are pro-traditional school, if you will? They don't want to see 
um, those schools dismantled or people voting with their feet so much because that means those options would go away for people who live near them. And it makes certain schools basically more popular and, and more desired, which they already are, than others. Right. Well, the ones that are underutilized in Florida, and as I've heard, I'm sure you see elsewhere, are the ones that are underperforming, right? So uh, when parents do have an opportunity to leave a poorly performing school, uh, they do. They go to the suburbs. They go elsewhere. Um, and that school, again, becomes lower and lower uh, utilization. And eventually, it may close out of that neighborhood. However, uh, what we have also seen in states that allow it is charter schools, magnet programs. Uh, in Miami-Dade, in fact, uh, one of my neighboring counties that has done a tremendous job in offering choice options. They've taken those underutilized schools and put special programs in them to attract students back into those neighborhoods and back into those schools, including bringing in the KIPP program, a, a charter school from um, mostly from out of state to attract those students back into the uh, neighborhood where the schools were underperforming. So I think what re is required of those uh, traditional public school districts is to get creative, get innovative, and find ways to improve those schools so that they don't uh, become underutilized. And if that means outsourcing uh, a program like a KIPP to come in and utilize that building to provide better services than what they're able to provide, then do that. Don't have such a monopolistic mentality that you're the only ones can, that can provide good education to the students in that neighborhood when we have seen time and time and time again that is not the case. There are lots of great programs out there from various types of education providers. And in this day and age, you know, in 2019, we need to be taking advantage of those and offering them to all types of students, whether they can afford private school or to move or if they're stuck in that zone school. So I, what's been so exciting about talking to you just now is that you you actually have thought all of this through and you have the answers to these tougher questions. And I'm, I'm all in favor of school choice, but I know there are legitimate concerns that people have. When school choice is brought up, for some people, it's a really negative feeling because they, in their minds, they, they see it as a way that a school that probably worked for them when they were a kid, it would now dismantle that school, not really thinking through the fact that they're in an environment where that school no longer works for kids. So one of the things that I want to uh, try to do, especially by having you on the program, is to make sure people have those resources to understand what you're talking about. And you're the school choice movement chairman of the board, mother of three boys, former Collier County school board member. I used to be an elected school board member myself, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, where can people find out more information about the information that you've shared and how they can kind of replicate what you're doing in their state? Our website is schoolchoicemovement.org. Uh, they can see, check out our vision statement, our mission, what legislation we're working on in Florida, some myths versus facts about school choice, and definitely follow our Twitter page, our Facebook page, uh, to know exactly what's going on here. Like you said, we've got some incredible programs in Florida that can be replicated in other states to help families have the options that they need to make sure that their students are successful academically. And we also, just like you said, want to change the narrative, change the messaging where school choice is not a negative thing. We can all work together to solve some of these legitimate concerns about expansion of school choice while still keeping students first and making sure that their needs are met before the needs of the system. 
So that that's fantastic. And I'm I'm so excited that you were able to join us today. Erica Donalds, chairman of the School Choice Movement. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again soon. And so I want to just stress one thing. When, when she says you can replicate these results. So I went to college for a couple of years. Then I joined the Air Force. And I then went out of the Air Force to join my husband in the mid- Midwest. And I was not exactly what you would consider a traditional um, school board person. In fact, I never envisioned being on the school board. I kind of revered the people on the school board. They seemed so separate and apart and kind of far back from where I was as a parent volunteer. But it was through my work volunteering in the school district that I ended up being on school board. They asked me to fill a, uh, an appointment. I went out for it and interviewed and actually got the job, served out that 11-month appointment, and then ended up running for that seat and losing, which is what led me here to radio. So I did a year of really kind of stuff that was totally outside of what you would consider to be my expertise and then went back and ran for school board and got elected. So that little mini story of how that happened is an example for you on how you can do the same thing in your area. You don't have to have a background in education. You don't have to be, uh, you know, some high-flying public relations person. You don't have to have any experience in public speaking. You just have to have organization and the ability to show up to meetings and to listen and absorb information, keep up with the uh, the weekly letters and, and things like that that school board members get. And so if you're already in a community and you're already paying taxes there, whether your kids are there or not, you're a part of that school district and you can make a huge impact there by giving your time to that district. You can make changes from the inside, but as she said, it's kind of hard to do. Most people go onto school board because they want something specific. They want to see it done. They're not able to get it done. They often will move on. Sometimes they'll make a huge impact. Sometimes they get eaten into the system and they become one of the cogs in the wheel. But what I'm telling you as, as Christian audience, we know God gifts us with certain things that we can do well and we're able to take those gifts and go out and do amazing things, not just for him, but for the people in our community. So consider that being on school board, volunteering in a school district that you're paying taxes in or your kids are in. And if nothing else, being a supporter of school choice for those families that um, that really need that opportunity to get their kids out of a failing area. So we're about to go into the break and I want to give you a little bit of info. We're going to have Dan Wheeler and Brian Rawling coming on the show after the uh, after the break. And they're going to be talking about Fearless Faith, which is coming soon to Uplift TV. Um, the website is ffaith.org, ffaith.org, like fearlessfaith.org. You can also go to FFM60 on Facebook and check it out. They'll be with us right after the break. You'll have more Stacy on the Right broadcasting live from Anaheim, California at National Religious Broadcasters right after this. Keep it here. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. In my book, The Soul of a Team, SOUL is an acronym, and the U in the acronym stands for unity, which means understanding and rallying around your team's mission, philosophy, and culture through open communication and positive conflict resolution. The Apostle Peter wrote, All of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. 
Someone can bring disunity without being completely at odds with what the team is trying to accomplish. As a result, little by little, over time, the team may find itself well off course and they cannot generate the momentum needed for high achievement. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team, from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. Abraham Hamilton III. Don't you realize, when you see some of the inner workings of the cell, with each component having its role to play, where you have soldiers and you have operators, you have little machines that are working, if the Lord would do that with something as micro and as undetectable by the natural eye as the cell, how much more will he provide for you? The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called Tune In. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Over 70,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2018. For comparison, there were 14,611 gun deaths in 2018, excluding suicides. With a 71% increase in fatalities, why aren't more politicians acknowledging that China has successfully used our open southern border to launch a full-scale attack on drug-addicted Americans? Well, because that opportunity was missed by the Obama administration. In May of 2016, 11 national public health experts sent a letter to officials in the CDC and the health czar calling the fentanyl crisis an extraordinary public health challenge. The doctors wanted a public health emergency declaration. Instead of heeding the warning, the Obama administration allocated no additional funds to combat the fentanyl crisis, left the border open, and the CDC refused to aggressively track and monitor the data on overdose deaths. Fentanyl overdoses have killed so many people that those deaths have lowered the average American life expectancy. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. It's so much fun to get to meet cool people and interview them live here from the floor of the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And so I've been having a great time doing that, and today is no different. We have Dan Wheeler and Brian Rawling right here, sitting right, right across from me. We've just met, and I want to give you the background on these guys because... They're just kind of presenting as two American gentlemen who've sat down here with me, but they actually have a fascinating backstory here. So Dan was a popular host on QVC for 29 years. He interviewed all the people you know, like Joe DiMaggio, Bob Hope, Joan Rivers, Willie Nelson. He's a highly sought-after public speaker and the co-founder of Fearless Faith Ministries. He has two daughters, three grandchildren. This is Dan's second book. The first book was Best Seat in the House. The second book is Hurricane of Love. It's a story about losing his wife, his journey with Beth Wheeler. And then Brian Rowland is actually working for fearlessfaith.org. It's fffaith.org. And they're best friends. So they don't live anywhere near each other, but they work together on this project. They have this cool thing that they do on Uplift TV where they three minutes where they uplift you with it's like a mini devotional, if you will. Yeah. And you can do it every day. So similar to what I, I have something called the encouragement that we do here on the show at the beginning of the show every day. 
And but sometimes mine are like long, like 13 minutes, and other times they're like three minutes. So, but this is something you can get actually your little coffee cup. They have a Fearless Faith coffee mug that you can get. So you get your cup of coffee in your Fearless Faith mug. You get with them on Facebook or YouTube. Yeah. Okay, Facebook, and then you're on there doing your devotional, and then off you go. You got your right. whole day going. So welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you so much for coming on. First Thank of you. all, tell us how the book came to be because I'm. Yeah. You were just sharing this over the break, and I was like, "No, save that." We, yeah. so tell tell the listeners about this. Well, life was going great. I have a long background in television, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. But I was a host for almost thirty years on QVC and really had it all. Um, had a great job, traveled the world, interviewed every hero I ever had. And then in 2012, um, my wife was diagnosed with stage four endometrial cancer. Um, by the time they discovered it, it had spread throughout her abdomen. And um, after they did the surgery at a big hospital in Philadelphia, uh, I was told, Dan, we got what we could, um, unfortunately. And when I heard that word, unfortunately, it was like a bomb went off inside my brain. He said, unfortunately, it spread more than we thought. It's throughout her abdomen. Unfortunately, it's a more aggressive form of cancer. And so the only treatment we could do was chemo. So we, for three years, set out on this journey, and we tried to make the best of it. My wife was an amazing woman. I want people, that's why I want people to get the book, Hurricane of Love. So many people have written me, hundreds of people, and said, I wish I would have known her. I look forward to meeting her in heaven. She was the type of person that the instant you met her, you felt like you'd known her all your life. And uh, so the book really traces our journey and what it was like being a host on QVC, having to be this upbeat, cheerful guy every night, knowing my wife was literally fighting for her life. And the Lord really got me through that time. There were moments in the studio just before the tally light would come on where my arms would go numb. The studio would start spinning because I would be with her in the hospitals all day and have to go and do a primetime show. And God somehow helped me through that time. We saw many miracles along the way. Um, there's so many, but basically she passed away uh, October 30th of 2015. But she was seeing heaven. Her eyes were locked on a corner of the room, and I finally said, what do you see, Beth? She said, heaven. Mm. I said, is it beautiful? She said, yes. And we asked her to describe it, and she couldn't even describe it, but she was seeing her dad, and, and she said to us, she said, I'm sad to leave you and, and the kids. I, we had two daughters. I still have them. <laughs> and uh, she said, I'm sad, but I'm not afraid. I know where I'm going. And after she passed away, my two best friends, Brian Rowland, who's sitting here with me, and my other one, Terry Steen, stayed with me that week after the celebration of her life, knowing I'd need support after everybody left. Mm. I took them out to lunch, and I said, look, guys, I'm 60 years old. I feel like I've done very little for God, and I feel like it's time. Whatever time I have left, I want to give it to him. God's been dealing with me through this journey. So we formed Fearless Faith Ministries. And like you said, on Facebook, if they just go to FFM60 or Fearless Faith, we do these three-minute videos we call Your Morning Cup of Inspiration. And we had mugs made. Everybody wanted the mugs. And now we have 25,000 followers. We have a YouTube channel with 500 of our videos there. We're oh, coming wow. out with a devotional. And we've developed this following. And it's just if you just want some inspiration, we're not preachy. We're not preachers. It's like you and me, Stacy, having a cup of coffee. And I'm just saying, you know, Stacy, I struggle with so many things in life. But here's what I found. God's helped me in this area. Or, you know, we're the least likely guys to do this. We're not preachers up on a pulpit. So That's it's what one I say on about one. myself. So you and I, we're, we're simpatico here because I was actually telling Madison, I think last night, um, 
how I, I was the least. So to me, actually, this was Sunday. She was sharing something about a friend at school and they have a, she goes to a Christian school. So they were having a discussion about faith and um, a student who struggles with that a little bit was kind of sharing. And she said, she said, well, you should go to summer camp I go to. It's called Faith Ascent Base Camp where they teach kids uh, apologetics and it's mostly Christian awesome. kids, but about a third of the kids there are questioning or they've mm -hmm. recently decided they're an atheist. But they come to the camp because mm -hmm. you can actually argue. You can actually say whatever you believe. And the people there don't they don't shut you down. They argue with you and they turn it over mm -hmm. and they don't condemn you. They leave you with information. Right. And so it's all day lectures, which is odd because these are teenagers, but mm -hmm. all day lectures all day, all, all week long. So she was talking about that. And I said, you know, I just I want to tell you, you can talk to anybody about your faith because. I said, years ago, I actually heard about American Family Radio, mm -hmm. and I said, um, oh, it's so amazing. I think I came on a program like to do an interview, and I said, wow, what an audience, what a, what a host. It was such a great time. Um, but I couldn't, and my husband said, maybe, you'll, maybe you, your show will end up there. And I said, oh, I don't think so. I, I'm not a minister. I'm not a preacher. I know I can't teach. You know, I've never even taught a Bible study before, so that wouldn't be for me because they wouldn't want me. I can't, you know, I can't do that. <laughs> Well, here yeah. I am yeah. years later, I'm actually on and I do, I do talk about it, but sure. I, everything that I come from is from, it's from the right. ground level right. because I'm not a preacher. I'm not a exactly. teacher. I haven't been to seminary yeah. and I really only know what God has taught me through his word sure. when I've, right. you know, when I've studied it for myself. Sure. So that's, what's so encouraging about you yeah. saying, come in, you know, get your cup of coffee, yeah. sit down and let's yeah. talk for three minutes and get the day started because it's right. such a hard appointment to make and it keep. Is. And it's, we, we yeah. let it kind of, yeah. you know. And yeah. you're connecting because people want real. They're tired of people right. who have these on-air personalities or are speaking down. And really, that's what QVC built into a $17 billion industry. They're good at is it. Is the hosts. <laughs> we're one-on-one. -on -one. We're your friend. And they trust us. And, and just like with that, with ministry, you never want to lose their trust. And by being transparent, that's kind of one of our key words. We're transparent, man. I am certainly a, a sinner who's been saved. And, and Brian is, too. I can attest. No. So, he was there. He knows. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you, you might have worse stories. The, yeah, that's yeah, another yeah. interview, guys. Right. Do that, do that, that right another now. time. So, no. Brian, tell us a little bit about, you handed me this card, and it's mm -hmm. it's really awesome. It's the three of you. You mm -hmm. each have your mugs. Yes. You're in front of a fearless sign. It mm -hmm. looks like kind of a, it almost looks like you're in an Apple office. But anyway, <laughs> nice, pretty yeah, glass it. table, yeah, That's one of the sets that we have on, okay. on our show. It's, uh, it's on Fearless Faith. It's on Uplift TV. Uh, it's coming out. We just did the pilot. And the, the program is really set up like the first one we did on Heaven. So we did Man on the Streets. And we went and interviewed people to see what they thought. Is there an afterlife? Do you, know, do you believe in heaven? We had all kinds of responses. Some people thought we popped back into the universe. Other people said, well, I have to wait till I get there to find out. So we took all of these and we, we did a program built around it. And it was in three segments. We had an interview segment in the middle with the, uh, girls from Grace Grace, uh, their show. But what we did was we heard everybody's opinion, what they thought, and then at the end we shared what the Bible says about it. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, when I was a kid, my mom used to let me say whatever I wanted. There was no generational gap. But then she would say, well, this is, I'm glad this is what you believe. This is what we believe. Mm -hmm. And when she pulled the Bible out, I couldn't, I couldn't back down. I would just say, okay, I mean, I, I had to back down. I, would just, I believed in that, mm -hmm. but she had proof I didn't. And that's what we want to do with the program, too. We want to hear what the people's opinions are. But we want to show them what the Bible says about it. And the thing is, we want to let people know, too, we're re really reaching the millennials. Uh, that's our age group. 
and it's Baby not boomers. it's not about religion anymore. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's not just religion. It's relationship. Yeah. Right. And so many people have come out of the church as kids who think God's the big thumb that's going to crush you, and it's not what it's about. No. And so we're, we're emphasizing. God's not that. here to crush us. No. Because yeah. that'd be easy yeah. for Him to do. Exactly. But people <laughs> right. are coming back to the Lord because of that. Oh, it's a relationship. I could just talk one on one, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what someone we're who to wants to hear your problems, yeah. who's right. not exactly. going to say, "How yeah. are you?" Yeah. And then when you start telling them, go, "Oh." Right. I'm so yeah. sorry. That's yeah. right. Most, that's and what most people do when you start sharing. And we're problems. actually reaching baby boomers. Brian said millennials, oh, but sorry. baby boomers, boomers are our generation, and we're that's feeling my like moment. yeah, oh. we have I'm, senior I'm moments. I'm with you. You know, but, but I, I think you could probably. So the thing about millennials, they are different. They do communicate differently, but they end up getting. It's almost like an overflow thing where when people from the baby boomer generation are overflowing in an area, it reaches millennials yes. because they see it because they have right. them in their family. Right. So I think yeah. it's fantastic to target a right. group and then the overflow can hit That's what whoever. We're doing. Our yeah. message is don't retire to the golf course for a life of leisure. I mean, you can play golf. We're both terrible at golf. But, you know, the, <laughs> word, the word retirement, there's no word for retirement in the Hebrew language. Uh-huh. So I don't feel like Jesus wants us to retire to a life I wish Jim Stanley was here. This is one of his favorites. So Jim Stanley's okay. the GM here at AFR and he says the same thing and that is I I believe that's a philosophy of life that it solves a problem that we have here in America which is unfunded taxpayer liabilities and you know public programs namely Social Security Mm -hmm. but you know even if you're not thinking about that we really don't have anywhere in the Bible where God says once you've worked and attained a certain level of success and saved enough money leave the workforce and leave life and you know seclude yourself (laughs) and I love the beach and I I, want to be there but I told my husband we could live there and work from there too like I'm I'm trying to get there still but right um, but you know Stacy when you go through the death of a spouse I mean she was everything to me and mm -hmm. she was my rock but to see there were so many miracles. Um, she couldn't even lift her hands at the end to wipe away a tear. We would have to wipe it away because she was filling with fluid after she stopped treatment. And she called me in one day and said, I'm done. And I had to accept that and, and call in hospice. But I had a neighbor who knocked on the door faintly. I barely heard it one day. And he's, he's a wonderful guy. He loves the Lord. He's a helicopter mechanic, but he's not eloquent at all. And he said, I, have a, I feel like God's wanting me to talk to Beth. So I went in and Beth said, well, can I get cleaned up first? And he said he'd wait. He waited 45 minutes. I brought him in. He quoted the story from Matthew, uh, the woman who had an issue of blood mm-hmm. that wanted to reach out and touch yeah. the hem of Jesus' garment. He had no idea my wife's issue was with her blood. The chemo had destroyed her bone marrow's ability to make platelets for the blood, which we need to live. And so he said, Beth, Jesus is in this room and he's either going to heal you now or you'll leave this world before, a little bit before the rest of us and you'll be with Jesus. But he's here. And if you get afraid, just reach out and touch him. And as I said, she couldn't lift her hand to wipe her tear. Many times that last week we saw her with her eyes closed and her hands would go straight yeah, up in the yeah. air. Yeah. She was reaching out to touch Jesus. One of many miracles, Brian... I had a guy, I play in a classic rock band that raises money for charities. And at near the end, I was just calling people and saying, can you go to the Philadelphia airport and pick these people up? Because the airport's over an hour from my home. I didn't want to leave my wife. I was bringing in friends and family. And as I looked back, I sent musician to pick up musician, school teacher to pick up school teacher, social worker, and on and on. So my best friend in my band picked up Brian. Brian's a musician. They dropped 
dro dropped Brian off late at night, six nights before my wife passed. And I noticed my friend that was with Brian wasn't saying much. I said, Brian, was John okay? And he said, yeah, he talked my ear off from the airport. And I said, that's funny. He hardly said anything, and he had this weird look on his face. We both noticed it. Mm -hmm. Well, the next day, my sister, I come out for coffee. She says, you have to contact John. He saw something. I'm like, he saw something. And so I called John. He goes, can I come over after work? I said, sure. I walk out, go out to the driveway, sit in his car. I said, John, what did you see? He said, well, I know you know I've done a lot of drugs in my time but I know what I saw, and I'm completely <laughs> sober. I said, what did you see? He said, as you were speaking, this being appeared right over you. I said, what do you mean a being? He said, well, it was probably 8 to 10 feet tall. It was so bright. He did, he, with his hands, he was showing the light shimmering. He said, it was so bright. I, I had to look away. He said, it had a cloak. I couldn't see a face. But I, I, had to, I was afraid my eyeballs were going to be damaged. It was so bright. I looked back, and it disappeared. But as you spoke... It appeared again. It came back. And he said, again, I had to look away. And I said, John, what do you think it was? He said, I think it was an angel. I said, so do I, John. They're all around here. We were having wow. prayer meetings. And Brian was there, and, and he was remembers. And so that chapter in my book, Hurricane of Love, uh, is called Angel in My Driveway. I can't wait to read this. That copy I is for you. I love stories yes. like that. So yes. I... I hope you'll sign it over to I me. I will. Uh, it's such, a, such an honor to meet you both. I love stories like that because one of the things that I feel like we've lost in today's culture, as, as especially as Americans, because we have such a wonderful society that we get to live in. Right. We've been so blessed. And we have the talking car, you know, the, the singing dishwasher. My, my washer and dryer sing a little song when they're done. You know, right. It's, it's, it's amazing. But yeah. when you have technology like that, it makes us, we, it keeps our eyes at this level. Right. right. And God wants to enthrall us with Absolutely. what he can do. Absolutely. And he wants to speak to us and do amazing yes. things in us and through us. He wants us to be fascinated with his presence. Absolutely. And so anytime someone's had an experience like that, I want to I read about it or hear about it and, and, yeah. and, and try to incorporate it so that I can keep my eyes up. Because yeah. it's so easy to just get bogged down at this level. And as I always say, people are going to people, so they're going to keep you right. at this level. Right. But God wants to lift us up. Yeah. And I, I have to say, so Jim was texting me yesterday and saying, I have two people for you. You know, yeah. you got to get them on today. And I was thinking, oh, thank God, because I want to interview yeah. people live yeah. from right. from NRB. We know Dr. Marla, and you had interviewed yes. her, and she said yeah. you she, have to talk. She, she was amazing. Yes. Yeah. So she was so great. She came on yesterday. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to talk to them. And he didn't really give me much info. He just said, right. you got to have them on. So. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys came on. Oh, it's been such you. a pleasure. Thank and I, I love the Uplift TV. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. I need that yeah. in my life. I yeah. really do. And, and check out our Facebook page. Yes, FFM I will. I will. I need that devotional, right. too. So right. um, yeah. you guys, congratulations Thank on the you. work. Thank you for Thank sharing you. your story Thank in the you. book. Yeah, I hope um, people pick up Hurricane of Love. It's a and, great story. And we'll, we'll reach yeah. out to you again. Uh, traditional, good. you'll just call in from sure. different yeah. locations. Right. Yeah. We'd love to have you back. Sounds Thank good. you so much for coming on Thank today. You. It's really a pleasure. Thank it. you, Stacey. All right, I hear the music. That's okay. the end the of this hour. You guys, uh, if you're leaving us now, God bless from the heartland. Citizens, until tomorrow. If you're sticking around, you have one news now, news and information up next. More Stacey on the right. Keep it here. Talk.